0: Well, my microphone is still not working, so I'm going to have to hold this. So I'm only going to be able to talk half as much because I only have half of my hands at any given time. Um, Laura is in Arlington, Texas this weekend with about 15 other wives of ministers uh, at a, a weekend retreat that Hope Network is uh, doing for them. They're going to be doing uh, three retreats over the course of uh, 15 months uh, as an opportunity just to pour into her and uh, into these uh, wives of ministers. And so I uh, continue to pray for my kids uh, who are stuck with uh, me, <laughs> and, um, and she'll be back tomorrow. But uh, just grateful for the opportunity, Donna. Thanks for leading this morning and uh, being able to, to have her some time uh, to, to spend with those other wives uh, talking about you. And so, um, let's pray as we uh, jump into the word here this morning. God, we thank you for the blessings that you give us. God, I, I pray that you will speak to us through these words of yours. Uh, that we will hear you in new and fresh ways, that we will experience uh, your truth uh, in, in ways that will impact us, in ways that will change us. As we, as we leave this morning, I pray that we will, will leave with a fresh, a fresh anointing of, of your spirit and your truth upon us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, for uh, Michael O'Neill, death was just a vacation. Uh, It wasn't something that he really saw coming. On June 2nd of 2008, he decided to go for a last-minute trip, and so he planned a vacation uh, to Australia to visit a friend. Uh, He made all these plans without telling anybody that he was going on this trip. And so as he's gone for this expen- extended amount of time his his neighbors start to see that there has been no sign of him for a while and they start to to get worried about this. And so they call the police and the police come and and they break down his door and come in and find that he has disappeared. He is he's gone. And there is no sign or indication of of what has happened to him. He is gone. It could be an honest mistake, right? Uh, he, he has gone uh, to go on this vacation. Nobody knows. But it gets crazier than that because a few weeks into his extended vacation, there is a death notice that appears in the newspaper, a death of a Mr. Michael O'Neill. Uh, this Michael O'Neill lives in the same town, uh, has uh, the same age, and also has two brothers named Kevin and Terry, The same names of these brothers of Michael who's on vacation. And so friends and family and neighbors, they see this death notice of their beloved Michael who is now dead. Or so they think. And so there is great concern for him. And and there's this funeral that's scheduled for this Michael O'Neill who is passed away. Luckily, some of them receive a postcard, not, not uh, just in the nick of time, before they start attending this funeral, a postcard that says, yes, I'm on vacation in Australia. Ah, okay, there there is our friend Michael O'Neill. And so he returns from vacation with a very different reception than most of us return from vacation, because he has people concerned that he was dead, and now he is very much alive. And he's walking the streets and, and walking in and out of his apartment, and people who didn't get the postcard, people who didn't get the notice that he is actually alive, they see him and they embrace him and say, we thought you were dead, we thought you were dead. But here is Michael very much alive. Imagine what kind of response you would have a friend that you thought was dead, and now you see them walking the street very much alive. Is there some shock to that? Is there some amazement to that? Some wonder and excitement as you experience this person who is now alive? And so the last couple of weeks, since Easter, we have been going through Luke chapter 24, looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Except the resurrection of Jesus was not just a mistake of a vacation. He actually was dead, confirmed dead, and is now very much alive. The, the events of the Friday crucifixion have left the disciples baffled. They thought something was happening and now it's not happening. And so they are now hopeless. They are now in despair. They are discouraged. This Jesus that they thought was going to be their savior, they thought was going to be their Messiah, is now hung on a cross and dead and now buried in a tomb. And then Sunday comes and there is this bizarre connection of events. The women go to the tomb and and see that it's empty. What could be going on here? Why is the tomb empty? We know he was buried here and now the tomb's empty. And they're confused and it takes these two angelic beings to come to them and say, no, he is risen. Remember he told you? Unlike Michael, he told you where he was going. Remember? And that's enough for these women to believe and they go and tell the men and the men don't listen to the women. They should have listened to the women, but they don't. And so Peter goes running to the tomb, and he sees the empty tomb, and he just scratches his head in puzzlement. What could be going on here? And then the next scene, it's the same day, and there's these two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and this stranger joins, just appears and joins with them, and and joins in this conversation, and they're talking about all the crazy things that have been happening in Jerusalem. And then they go in and invite him into a meal, and they sit, and in the breaking of bread, Jesus reveals himself. And now the first two people see Jesus. And so Jesus is revealing himself progressively, and so they hurry back to Jerusalem to go tell the other disciples what has happened. And so now we get to our, our text for today. We continue in Luke chapter 24, getting into verse 36. Because it's at this moment as 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 the disciples are gathered together in Jerusalem, they are full of anxiety and full of grief. They're full of uncertainty. They've heard these strange reports of the empty tomb. They've they've heard these, these concerns of what's going on. They're confused and they're there's still this heartache of, of what has happened on Friday. And so they're gathered together, and then Jesus shows up. Jesus comes into their midst and it causes a bit of a disruption because this man that was thought to be dead, who was confirmed to be dead, is now in their presence back from his trip. In verse 36, while they were still talking about this, trying to sort out what has gone on, what has happened, Jesus himself stood among them. Can you imagine this crowd of people? They're like, what's going on? What's going on? And Jesus is just kind of, hey, I'm standing here. And his first words to them, peace be with you. Now, why did they need peace? Peace. As this anxious conversation is going on, as they're unsure of what has happened, their faith is up and down. Uh, He said he was going to be risen. He's not in the tomb. Could it be? Could it not be? Are those women just crazy? Like, what's going on here? And so he says, peace. Now, this doesn't calm them down. Because then the next verse, it says, they were startled and frightened. The dead man just said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. The word here is better translated, terrified. The dead man is in their presence, and they are terrified. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Why why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I, myself. Here are the identifying markers that say it is Jesus. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. They're terrified because they think they've seen a ghost. And Jesus says, this is no ghost that you're seeing. Touch my hands. See the marks that have been left behind. I am very much alive. When he said this, he showed him his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, their emotions have changed, but their belief has not. Now they're excited. They're joyful. They're amazed that this is Jesus, but they still don't believe That this is actually Jesus, not in the flesh and blood, not in real life. And so he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. In their presence, he takes this fish. And eats it. Is this real? He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened up their mind. So they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is such an incredible scene here. As Jesus makes his appearance. It's this third resurrection passage in Luke. We keep getting episode after episode, and each one is building momentum from one to the next, going from the empty tomb, but questions of what it is, going to the road to Emmaus and, and being revealed to these two disciples. And now here in this third passage, we have Jesus appearing to this larger group, and he says, peace be with you. It's a message of comfort that, that his resurrection and, and the appearance that is confirming that resurrection, it means an end to all of their anxiety. It, me, it means an end to the questions that they have about Jesus' well-being. He's not missing anymore. He's here, in our presence. He's not dead, but he was dead. And so what is he? There's some question here. There's some concern. Is, is he a ghost? Is he a phantom? Is he, is he a figment of our imagination? Who is this one that is appearing to us because he was dead and now he's not dead? What does a not-dead person look like? And so they don't know. And, and in that unknowing and in that uncertainty, there is fear and there is panic. This, this being terrified at the appearance of Jesus, this not-dead Jesus. What is a not-dead Jesus? Jesus. And so Jesus tries to sort through and make this clear to them what a not-dead Jesus is. Not-dead Jesus is alive in a very physical way. And he's present in their midst. You can see him. You can touch him. You can can see the imprint of the nails on his hands. He, He bears the identifying scar. Many of us have scars that help to identify us. Something that's unique to us, that, that somebody who's close to you sees that and they know ah, it is actually them. That mark of identity. And Jesus bears those marks of identity. This is him. And he says, says look, a ghost doesn't have this. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. This not dead Jesus is a living Jesus, fully present in a very physical, true way. And so, could this be real? Could this really be Jesus? This is not your every sort of everyday kind of occurrence, right? Like, I haven't encountered any not dead people that were dead. Like, that's not something that we, we really experience on a day-to-day basis. And so here they are, the resurrected Jesus is in their presence, and their sorrow is turned to joy, but they still don't really believe it. And even after touching him, they don't know what to think. And so Jesus continues to, to try to convince them that he has a physical resurrected body. This is not just a figment of their imagination. This is not just a phantom. This is not just a spirit. He is very much physically alive. And he asks for some fish. And he demonstrates the truth of who he is. And demonstrates the truth that he is now alive by eating this fish in their presence. The ghost is not going to eat fish. Fish. And so then he goes on and reminds them that he had predicted that this would happen. He had told them, they should have seen it coming, that that a crucified and raised Messiah was not an adjustment to God's plan. This was a plan all along. That nothing changed. Christ was to suffer. Christ was to be raised. And now it must be preached to all nations. Because the resurrection of Jesus... And his presence in our midst is not something to be kept to ourselves. That the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus is to be preached and witnessed. And so it leads to this evangelistic commission for his disciples. They're witnesses of these things. And they pass that witness on to us. And we become witnesses of this as well. And so the disciples must now engage in the preaching to the nations. Jesus will send them out into this commission, into this sharing of the gospel. But he will not send them alone. He will equip them in this process. They will be equipped. And they will first need to be clothed with this power from on high. And we see that in Acts, as the Spirit descends upon them and anoints them. And it's the Spirit that enables us to witness and to testify to Jesus, effectively. The key to accomplishing this mission that that Jesus calls us into is the enabling work of God's Spirit. And so Peter, we see in Acts chapter 2, experiences this incredible transformation where he is the timid one on, on the outside, the one that is denying who Jesus is, and he now becomes, after the anointing of the Spirit, the preacher with fearless enthusiasm. This is the only time she'll talk to me. She won't talk to me any other time. Hi. She just ignores me. Are, is she really smiling at me now? Man, I missed it. I can't get that kid to smile at me. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we see that this is not just a philosophy. This is not just a story. This is not a fantasy This is not a movie that we watch. It's not not a novel that we read. This is real life. That Jesus very much died and very much came back to life in this physical form. And Luke is very intentional here about giving these physical details Of Jesus' post resurrection appearance and body. And they're given to us with this as a form of proof, as a form of evidence. It's it's the it's the essential thrust of the message about him that that his disciples would carry on into the world. They don't go on continuing just sharing the parables, sharing the, the teaching, sharing the, the 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 wise things of Jesus. No, they go on sharing the resurrection of Jesus. That that part of the good news that the disciples are preaching was not just bound up in what Jesus taught, but in what he actually did, in the pivotal events of his death and in his resurrection. It is because of this resurrection that they are able to preach the news of Jesus. And so we see the risen Jesus at this table, wiping the crumbs of fish off of his beard and off of the table. He is a real person who ate this meal And, and later, as we're going to get into Acts later in the fall. We, we keep pointing to that as a continuation of, of what Luke is teaching. And, and we'll spend a, a big chunk of the rest of our year looking through Acts. But, but in Acts, Luke tells us that the disciples did not go around the Roman world setting up Jesus memorial societies. They did not set up monuments to his death. They didn't just repeat his parables. Instead, they insisted that Jesus was alive and is alive, that his death and resurrection had ushered in a whole new age when God would set a fallen world to the right way. And they had been witnesses of this fact, enough to completely transform the path that they were on. They understood that, that even after his ascension, that they would continue to embody his scarred hands and feet. That they would be feeding a world hungry uh, for hope of salvation. That there would be wholeness and promise of new life made possible by his sacrificial death and bodily resurrection. They had not seen a ghost. They had not seen a resuscitated corpse. No, they had seen the risen Christ. They had witnessed something utterly new, something surprising, something overwhelming, and something joyful. This is the Jesus that we see here in Luke. And there in this Jerusalem scene, something amazing happens. And then Jesus maps out for them this journey that they're to take. He maps out how, this, how, how the journey had been leading God's people to this precise moment in history. He led them on to, to see this biblical narrative that, that had pointed to this moment, that this had been a part of the plan, that his death had been an essential part of this journey and was now to be seen as a holiday instead of a day of mourning, a time of celebration instead of a day of sadness. Jesus had come to us from heaven, from being with God, humbled himself, to be among us, to take on flesh and blood, to experience the depths of pain and death, and then return in amazing triumph. And so I wonder, can we recover the surprise of the resurrection? When Michael walks into his his neighborhood and people see him thinking that he was dead, what is their reaction? And do we carry that same kind of reaction when we see the risen Christ? Or week after week, year after year, we have talked about Easter, we have talked about the resurrection, and it it becomes so commonplace in our language, so commonplace in, in what we see that we have lost the surprise of it that Jesus is very much alive. Easter comes at us every year. And as as Easter comes, it usually finds followers of Jesus more arguing and debating theological points and social issues. While the rest of the world is yawning at us, and the rest of the world sees us as irrelevant, they're indifferent. Perhaps we haven't been, been preaching and engaging the the surprise of the resurrection. That Jesus is alive, does that change us in any way? Does that surprise us? Does that excite us? Does it lead us to witness? Or have we become too focused on churches, on our structures, on our processes, on our programs, that we we neglect this incredible claim that Jesus is alive, that his promises are fulfilled? He's not on some long vacation that we're waiting for him to come back to. He is very much alive. And so we come back to Luke 24 and we're reminded of the shock, the terror, the joy when Jesus stands in our presence. That Jesus comes into our midst and is looking at our conversations and looking at our arguments, looking at our concerns, and says, Hey, peace be with you. I'm here. I'm alive. What are you going to do with that? Luke closes up with this final scene out on the edge of Bethany, verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great Joy, And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This gives us a short summary that, that, that shows that Jesus comes in this physical form. And it's something that's going to be detailed, in, detailed out in, in Luke's next volume in Acts chapter 1. But now he, he just gives this simple picture of Jesus ascending to heaven. We see the disciples come full circle from the tragedy of Friday. We see that they have gone from despair and from grief and hopelessness and confusion, uncertainty and even wonder, and they have come to this place of worship, full of joy, praising God. God. And they return to the place where Luke first started out the story, back with Zechariah in the temple. And they stay there, praising and celebrating, waiting for what's next. And so, as we see the reality of the resurrection, as they saw the reality of the resurrection, it led them to a place of worship. It led them to a place of praise. And our worship is not just from our lips, it is from our actions as well. And the disciples were ready. They were ready to obey this call. To preach and to witness to all nations. And they were filled with joy. Do we see the resurrection this morning? Do we see Jesus in our midst? And does it fill us with joy? Let's stand together. We want to spend a, a, a time of prayer here, a time where uh, you can come and pray with one of the shepherds. You can pray as families, friends, as life groups get together and, and encourage one another and lift one another up. Sometimes we, we are, are in moments of hopelessness and despair and discouragement. We need others to help redirect us towards the joy of the resurrected Christ. To refocus and remember The tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. He's in our presence, and it totally changes our lives, and our path as his disciples. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for for your message. We thank you for your words for us. We pray that you will continue to, um, to teach us, to open our minds and our hearts to you. God, I pray that we will be surprised by the resurrection, that once again we will see Jesus alive, and that will lead to great joy and great praise. It's in his name we pray, amen.